following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sunny in Phoenix podcast, a weekly podcast where we keep you up to date on everything Phoenix Suns basketball. My name is Charlie Erling, and as always, I'm joined by Dab and Mitch Krumpetich. What's up? And David McGraw. It's a Sunday slash Monday. That's right. We are going to talk about DeAnthony Melton's new contract with the Suns, a little bit of a review of the State of the Suns event that Mitch attended, and after that, we'll talk about the power forward position heading into the season for the Suns. Follow us on Twitter at Sunny and PHX Pod. Same thing for Instagram. Go on iTunes, leave us a five star review and a comment, and you will get a shout out on the show. All right. So after a bit of uncertainty and a little bit of a wait, we found out that DeAnthony Melton signed a two year deal with our Suns for $2.3 million. So this means we have him locked up for two seasons, and it took a little while, but now on our roster we have DeAnthony Melton, Elio Kobo, Shaquille Harrison, and Isaiah Cannon all at the point guard. So what, what are just some general thoughts on Melton? Do you see him making a splash? Do you see him getting minutes this year? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, with, with how the point guard what we have on our roster right now, how the point guard situation is, there's no reason why DeAnthony Melton isn't going to get minutes. I mean, right now it looks like Shaq Harrison is probably the starter. And I believe that until we, unless we trade for someone before Shaq Harrison's the starter at the beginning of the season, we're going to be seeing a lot of Okobo and Melton though, to see what we have. Melton, especially, really showed out in summer league and I think we're gonna see if some of that carries over yeah I like what Melton can do I mean he's just another one of these rookies who we don't know a whole lot about kind of like a Kobo but he's gonna have his chance and I think Melton has a possibility even to be starting uh, at the beginning of the season I think it's really up in the air right now and it's just going to come down to who has the best training training camp slash preseason. And I'll get into this a little bit more later, but uh, Coach Kokoshkov talked about how it's just a huge competition between all these guys. He likes them all, and they've all got a good chance, so we just have to see who works hard in camp. So one of the interesting things about Melton is he's known to be a solid on-ball defender, and he's a guy that... We're as a team, we're going to be willing to throw him on the opposing team's best point guard at times. I, I'm ready for that, and that's just like Shaq Harrison. That's what we use him for. But it seems like Belton might be a little more polished on the offensive end, especially after seeing some of those games he put up at summer league. He's looking pretty good. Yeah, I think so. And I think the talk, the the buzz that you always hear is like. Each year there seems to be a guy like Donovan Mitchell, like a later round guy um, who 
not later round, but like later in the draft guy who just explodes right away. Uh, maybe not every year, but last year was definitely Donovan Mitchell. And I mean, I don't want to set my expectations too high, but maybe DeAnthony Melton has a chance to be someone like that. It, I mean, or it's, may, it's or crazy, maybe Okobo or Okobo or both. That would be cool. Well, Donovan yeah. Mitchell's a slightly different story. I mean, he was yeah. still a late lottery pick, but you know, book book and that kind of stuff. Where there's always that guy at the end of the lottery, but there is always a guy that's end of first end of the first round, second round kind of guy that you know is able to play really well and play above his years. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, who was of yeah. oh, mid late second round pick who was just really old has played really well for the bucks yeah he's like 37 years old but whatever <laughs> he, he still plays well plays defense hits hits some shots and you can't really complain about that production but at the same time just to temper expectations tyler ulis was also the first pick of the second round so you have yeah, one extreme to the three other. foot so <laughs> one extreme and the Suns also gave him a fully guaranteed contract for a few years there which which they wouldn't normally well which NBA teams don't often do for second rounders but right. we did that for Ulis. I, I get a taste of this with this Melton contract but I feel much more confident about this one at this point I, I feel a lot more confident with a point guard who's 6'4 with a 6'9 wingspan in, in the Anthony Melton as compared to Tyler Ulis with whatever he was, 5'8", with a five-foot wingspan or whatever. <laughs> yeah, when you when you have your defensive specialist point guard be actually over six foot tall, you feel a little bit better about that instead of your defensive specialist point guard being five foot eight. So, what do we think? We, I think we all have opinions on who, different ones about who's going to be the starting point guard this year. David, you're going with Shaq. Mitch, you're leaning Melton at this point. Well, I don't know. I'm torn. I think it's going to be between Akobo and Melton, whoever has the See, better camp. And I'm I'm just uh, putting a little more faith in Okobo at this point. So one of us is going to be right. We're, we're going to see pretty soon. The first preseason game is October 1st, and that's like in a week. Yeah, that's coming right up. Ah! Mitch is hyped. <laughs> I'm super hyped. So we're talking about we don't know which one of these guys are going to start. So does that mean it's pretty reasonable to expect all three of them getting pretty similar minutes per game? Or do you think we only run two per game? Because they could all run 16 minutes, you know? I think at the beginning it's going to be pretty even. Give them all an even chance. And, I mean, we have three or we have, what, six preseason games? Right. That sounds about right. I think that, uh, you know preseason a different story and you, you're gonna see a lot more guys getting play during a game but i think once the regular season starts assuming that there are no moves i think that it's really gonna depend on the game and if one guy seems to be having a slightly better game he'll have a little bit more minutes and it's gonna it'll probably even out over averages but it's not gonna be like every single game something like that. point guard by committee yeah i could live with that i mean maybe it's not ideal, but I'd say it's better than last year's situation. It's much better than last year's situation. Yeah. It can't be that bad. There's no possible way it could be that bad again. You say that, but I'm a, it could always be bad. 
As long as we don't sign Mike James again, we'll be fine. What if that's our big point guard move? (laughs) The writing's on the wall. Mike James is coming back. Hashtag the return. For our next segment, because I'm not going to listen to that anymore. Um, I went, the the Suns do a thing for season ticket holders called the State of the Suns. It's a talk. It's a little, I'm not going to say dinner, but there were hors d'oeuvres. Pretty good, actually. The cheese platter was prime. I was happy with the cheese platter. Um, but it's it's an event where uh, Ryan McDonough, James Jones, and Coach Koshkov talked for part of it. And then DeAndre Ayton, uh, DeAnthony Melton, George King, and um, Elia Kobo talked for the other half. And the talk was about an hour long. And then there was time for people to to talk and it was at the phoenix art museum which was really cool because they kept the museum open part of it open for a little bit afterwards so i kind of wandered around and checked some stuff out but um this talk was really interesting and um i'm just gonna go through some of the main takeaways from from the discussion and uh it, it gave some good insight to the state of the team which was the whole point of the thing so they started out, um, Tom Leander was the moderator, I guess you could say, and he did a really good job of asking the questions that people wanted to hear. He started with the Booker injury. Um, and I'm just going to read the quote from McDonough because he explained everything really well and answered pretty much all of the questions that I would have asked. So he said, um, Devin's always had that left hand in his game. He pulls it out from time to time. He had the procedure about a week and a half ago now in L.A., so this event was on Thursday, so just for context. McDonough goes on, It's early, but it's going well so far. He's already doing conditioning. He's running, working on his left-handed dribbling and shooting. He got the sutures in his finger out today. We're hoping over the next few weeks he'll be able to ramp up the rehab and start shooting again. Maybe sometime around the start of our preseason games, sometime in that schedule. It's a setback for us, obviously, for a guy who has never been injured or never missed any time but i think uh if there were a time for a player to miss a projected six week time frame it would be about six weeks before the season you guys know Devin and how hard he works he's doing great and like everything else that has come his way in his short career he is using it as a challenge he's willing to take on and overcome we're looking forward to having him back on the court soon then uh, Tom Leander went on to ask about his participation in USA Basketball. Like David was asking, like, why did we not notice this before? Why did he do all these things? So McDonough said, There was no incident we could see that caused it. There was no trauma to the hand. He didn't fall. He didn't hit anything. At the end of the season, we asked him how it felt, and he said it felt great. As you mentioned, he played with USA Basketball. He worked out super hard all offseason. We were texting him a lot, in particular this offseason, because as you mentioned, he signed the contract extension. So we went out to LA to meet with him in July. He said it felt great. It just swelled up, I guess, after a workout when all the players came in and started going competitively five on five. Because of that, we decided to be aggressive in terms of getting him a second opinion. The non-surgical option was to buddy tape his fingers together, to tape his pinky and ring finger together. That could have potentially, or he could have potentially played that way, but to us it didn't seem like a long-term solution. That seemed more like something you do for one playoff game if you have to kind of gut it out, especially for a guy who is one of the best offensive players in the league. So we decided to do the procedure, and he's making great progress. We're hoping to have him back sometime right around opening night. 
So what do you guys think about that? I remember how worried we all were when we saw that he was getting surgery and how close it was to the season. But the fact that they've pretty much spelled out that he'll be back for opening night at this event, that that's pretty reassuring. Right. Yeah, and I mean, if it, I guess, in my opinion, if he's doing all that work, it seems kind of weird that it waited until the five on fives. But, you know, sometimes injuries are weird. Maybe it just got, maybe it was like totally good, and it was one of those where specifically he just tweaked it how he did originally to injure it, and like it kind of reaggravated it. So, I mean, I'm glad that they listened to the pod and uh, took my questions to heart. So, <laughs> you know what though, every time, well, I'm not gonna say I go back and watch this frequently, but that video of him catching football passes from the jug machine. Uh, that makes me cringe a little bit because those footballs were, those were zinging in pretty hot. makes me cringe a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I mean, I just think my takeaway from this is like, he still worked all summer, which is great, but there is a difference between just working out and five on five competitive practice with the rest of your team, you know? And I think that's a good sign that these guys are going that hard and getting that work in, in the off season. And if his hand flares up, it flares up. He got it taken care of. Hopefully he's back for the start of the season. Right. If you're playing live ball with your teammates, you're going to put your hand in a passing lane, and we've all jammed fingers playing ball. Right. And that's an easy thing to do, so yep. understandable. Yep. Uh, so next, uh, James Jones talked about what he was most proud of accomplishing this summer. He talked a lot about the uh, – the training team, the athletic trainers, and there were some changes in there. But the one thing I really want to highlight from this is when he was first asked what he was most proud of accomplishing in the offseason, he said there were a bunch of things. First and foremost, we got Igor on board. And, I mean, the, the applause was crazy. Like, people just went nuts. And I thought people were going to stand up for that. And they didn't, but it was close. Um, Did you? I almost did. I almost did, but I didn't want to be the only one. There were other you could have started something. I could have. But um, <laughs> he went on to say, our guys took a big step this summer. They've been here all summer. They got stronger, healthier, improved their skill. It's just been a very, very good summer for us because we set out this past offseason to run out a culture reset and shift. We added guys like Trevor Ariza and Ryan Anderson to give us a professional identity. We believe that we are primed for a big breakout season this year. So I like the sound of that. Yeah, that's that's showing a lot of optimism for this season. And I know that at this event, that's kind of the, the idea, is to get the season ticket holders hyped. But, I mean, just hearing that come out of James Jones' mouth, the guy who's won championships, just hearing him be that confident makes me confident. Well, I mean, James Jones is one of those guys that, respected around the league he knows he knows what kind of cultures work what kind of like cultures and teams work and he's seen he's seen ones that are bad he's seen ones that are great i i I don't think it's that surprising that i I don't think it's surprising that he would be the one to hype to harp on like culture changes and stuff like that but it does it is good that 
you know, the talks of Ariza and Ryan Anderson that, like, specifically saying, like, you know, these guys are, these are culture guys, and, like, yes, they are, like, good players, or, like, will, or, like, are gonna help us out, but, like, we are, like, we are trying to change the culture around here that was sketches all get out with Earl Watson and stuff and not the right way to do it. Right. Definitely. And speaking of the coaching position, Coach Kakashkov was asked a question next just about his whether he's excited or nervous and that kind of thing. And he said, I feel great to be back home. This is home base. My wife is from Michigan, and I'm originally from Serbia, as you can tell. But we found this home in 2008, and it's great to be back home. So I loved hearing that. He talked about how he's thrilled to be back. Uh, he was with the, the team in 2010 when they went to the Western Conference Finals under Alvin Gentry. Um, he, he said, we understand it's a process. It takes time. We also understand that it's a professional sport and there's no excuse. We are young, we're talented, we have potential, but we have or we have potential, but we have to be good too. He talked about controlling preparation and that he's not nervous, that everyone's just excited to get to work, and he just kept saying we want to make you proud. And I'm like, "Yes, I want you to make me proud too." <laughs> but yeah, I mean it was awesome to hear him have that much enthusiasm and just to hear that they've considered Phoenix home since 2008 was really nice. So something I take away from that, I might want you to reread it, but he says, we're young, we're talented. Can you just read that again real quick? He says, it takes time, but we also understand that it's a professional sport and there's no excuse. We're young, we're talented, we have potential. Oh my gosh. I'm going to start that again because I did potential again. (laughs) He said, it takes time, but we also understand that it's a professional sport and there is no excuse. We're young, we're talented, we have potential, but we have to be good too. So his excuse where someone would normally put in an excuse is, but we have to be good. Like we're young, we have potential, but no one can shoot the ball like that may have been the case last year but uh-huh. he just says we have to be good like all the tools are there i'm hyped for a coach man i think he's gonna coach these boys up yeah i i don't think he's looking for excuses at all or looking for like oh yeah you know we're gonna suck and like just get used to it like yeah, potential all that kind of stuff saying that like yeah we have it but you, you still have to like put up or shut up is pretty nice to hear it's kind of a it's kind of a breath of fresh air yes it it definitely was um and then they also talked about the the changes in the assistant coaches which i forgot about this our assistant coaching group is amazing it's so good our assistant coaches are joe prunty who did a great job with milwaukee last year corliss williamson and jamel mcmillan who is nate mcmillan's nate mcmillan's son so, like, that's such a great group of assistant coaches. And I know they talked at the event about how they're glad that Joe Prunty's on, on our team because if he would have stayed in Milwaukee, he could have just led them to the playoffs again. So, hmm. yeah, that, that was the sentiment. And I'm happy to have Prunty for sure. I like the idea of Kokoshkov, uh, who is just an assistant coach, picking his assistant coaches 
Yeah. He gets to say, all right, this is what exactly what I wanted to do in my job last year. I got to find guys who can do that like how I did. So yeah. that experience right there, that back and forth, I like that. Right. Well, and he, Kakashkov also said he was looking for good people, not just good basketball. And so these are people who he thinks – are like very good people at their core and they have a very small group. He emphasized that, but he said that's what he wanted. Joe Prunty looks like the nicest guy I've ever he seen. He does. In my life. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure that Igor wants to be a bit more hands-on. And so bringing in extra assistance to do specific things probably doesn't seem like his, his way to do it at all. So makes sense. All right, everyone. This week's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek. As we all know, getting tickets online can be super complicated. There's a bunch of different sites with varying levels of reliability, but SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being at an event in person, so SeatGeek gets you closer to that action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make the ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I've used SeatGeek quite a few times, actually. I've used it for basketball. I've used it for concerts. It's really easy to use. They've got an app. They've got a website that works really well. So check it out. Our listeners can use the promo code SUNSFANS. That's S-U-N-S-F-A-N-S to get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So go to SeatGeek, find whatever tickets you want, maybe for an upcoming Suns game. So go to SeatGeek, use the promo code SUNSFANS, and get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, Then they went on to talk about the additions of Ryan Anderson and Trevor Ariza. Um, The goals, McDonough said the goals were to get better at perimeter shooting, defense, and professionalism. He said those were things that we clearly lacked last year. Um, And he told an interesting story. Uh, McDonough said they went to interview Kokoshkov. He was with the Jazz last year as an assistant. And they interviewed him between games one and two of the series between Utah and Houston. Um, McDonough showed him a list of guys that they were thinking of targeting in free agency and asked Kokoshkov, who he would be interested in signing, who he thought would be a good fit. And immediately Kakashkov said Trevor Ariza. And maybe it's just because they happen to be playing the Rockets right then, but I, I don't think that's the case. Um, he, he really likes Ariza's leadership, defense, three-point shooting, obviously. Um, then they went on to talk about how after watching DeAndre Ayton play in Summer League, they really wanted to add someone else who could stretch the floor at the power forward position. So that's why they went to get Ryan Anderson. Um, and then they also liked uh, DeAnthony Melton in the pre-draft process, but didn't have a lot of information on him, which no one did. Um, but they saw him in Summer League and liked what they saw. So McDonough said he thought Melton and Anderson would be better fits for the team than Chris and Knight in Kukoshkov's system. So that's why that trade happened. Makes sense. Like, um, you know, Brandon Knight, not known as a defender, and 
or have and is kind of past the way of potential of being a two-way player and Chris you know had a jump shot that looked really good in college but just kind of was shaky as all get out and never really kind of got all the way put together in his tenure with the Suns so you know Ryan Anderson we lose defense and shot blocking ability but you're not going to argue against his floor spacing at all. Exactly. And it's been noted we needed help with our shooting and defense. And you look at Anderson, there's the shooting. Melton, there's the defense. Yep. So, yeah, it makes sense. And I just think, like James Jones said, with the culture shift, you know, uh, they they wanted to have – some some different guys in there to promote a different culture, I believe. And we also heard this news that Brandon Knight recently had a, another surgery to clean up his his knee, and he might not be ready for the start of the season. So I I still don't really know who won that trade, but I'm talking myself into it being us for sure. <laughs> well, I I don't think we necessarily I don't think there's necessarily a loser or winner of the trade. I think it's just you know it makes sense. The Rockets want a want a guy that is can play guard minutes and can help them, you know, compete and is insurance for Paul and Harden. D'Anthony Melton's a little bit of a question mark, and you know he might not be ready to jump into that role right away. And you want a guy that, you know, can shot block and has, you know, it. You have Nene right now as your backup big, so. It, when he goes out for extended minutes at times, a guy that can maybe grow alongside a little bit, uh, Capella, and can, or, you know, just get put it together with Harden. So it makes sense from that end. And, That's true. you know, we get a couple of guys out who just couldn't put it together here and get in a guy that has a lot of upside as well as, you know, a, a veteran for our young guys and, Rand- and Ryan Anderson. If Ryan Anderson plays average and Melton pans out better than Chris, that's a definitely definitely oh, yeah. a win for us. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the next thing they talked about briefly was uh, the team trip to San Diego. If you saw pictures on Instagram or tweets or whatever like we did and we're like, oh, I wonder what's going on. That's what it was. Uh, Trevor Ariza and Devin Booker organized a team trip to San Diego uh, for a couple different reasons. Um, one was just to build camaraderie, team chemistry, that kind of thing. And two, they worked out a bunch. And um, I forget if it was Kakashkov or McDonough. I believe it was McDonough who said this. But he talked about how a lot of guys, they want to play really hard, but they don't want to be embarrassed in front of the coaches or anything like that. Uh, and so they decided they wanted to have a few days where they could just run insanely hard without the coaches around and so that's what they did and treated it as a vacation as well deandre ayton talked about how he got to drive robert sarver's boat and it was <laughs> it was pretty funny to hear that experience but um I, I guess it was a really good experience and helped all the guys bond a little bit and get that team chemistry going before the season starts so not a ton on that, but it was interesting to hear. Um, let's see. 
I'll keep going here. Kakashkov talked about the point guard situation, which we have addressed quite a bit of this already, but he said it's a competition. He loves all four of the guys we have on our roster who can play point guard right now. Um, he said he didn't think he could fairly answer the question of who would start without seeing everyone in training camp slash preseason. But then he made an interesting point. He said, we distinguish a difference between point guard and playmaker. Somebody has to guard the point guard position. But we all remember Steve Nash, Steve Nash being one of the best playmakers, not just point guards. So a little bit of that positionless talk that we had last week. Uh, but then he just said, no decision has been predetermined, so we'll just have to see. Which is pretty much what we said at the top of the show, too. So that's where we're at with that from Kakashkov. I think that really favors uh, guys like Melton and Harrison just coming out and saying that because we just might need somebody to play defense on their point guard at our point. I guard agree yeah. so much with that. Like when you said that blurb, when you told us about it after the fact, I was like, Hey, this guy knows what's up. You still have to have a guy that, you know, <laughs> isn't going to just get completely destroyed. Yeah, they're going to get destroyed by All-Stars probably a little bit anyways, but any, everyone does that. You just got to have someone that can stay in front of right. them a little bit and not get crushed. And I, I definitely feel like that favors my why we need to just we need to have Shaq starting the season uh, at, the po- at the point guard. <laughs> so uh, I feel really good about that. Thanks, Coco. Well, as Coach Kokoshkov said, no decision has been predetermined, so we'll have to see. <laughs> Um, but thanks for listening to the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so McDonough had a few other things. One thing that stuck out is he said he wants Bender to be an elite shooter. <laughs> Me too. Um, Coach Kakashkov then went on to talk about Aiton, and this was really interesting. He talked about how Aiton has a unique skill set. The offense comes to him naturally, but he said... Within the next two or three years, he has to be at least in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. Kakashkov is going to start Aiton on this defensive track right away. He then went on to say, I was fortunate to spend two days at Hakeem Olajuwon's ranch. So Igor Kakashkov, our head coach, spent two days at Hakeem Olajuwon's ranch. And they watched tape together and they would go through everything play by play. So I thought that was really interesting, too. But he went on to call DeAndre Ayton the anchor of the defense and just said that the offense comes more naturally. So I don't. what do you guys think about that? It's exciting. As a son, who's the last big man that really played defense for us, really clogged up the lanes, really blocked shots, really kept people out of the lane? Amari? That, Amari was not good on defense. No. no. He, he's the closest. I, see, it's tough to even say who our last big man like that was. And with his size and strength and speed and vertical jump, I mean, when you're that big, you should be able to hold down the lane. And I think Aiton, within two or three years, being one of the better defenders in the league, yeah, I buy that. I actually think that this is probably, this mirrors and probably was used a bit in Summer League. And why it seemed like we didn't really have games where Aiden like kind of asserted himself and went off offensively. I'm sure it was like, look, we know you can do it, and very much along that line of thinking. You know, if people are a little nervous and like, oh man, he should have put up like 30 points in summer league or whatever. You know, maybe it's quite possible that's not what he was getting asked to do. It was like, yeah, we know you're talented. 
we want you to like work on this and summer league's the best spots to work on that i mean the competition's way lighter you're not going to be going up against you know these like juggernaut centers all the time you're going up against uh like um jonathan motley who and uh marvin bagley and got you know either super young guys or guys that are, haven't filled in their bodies like Mobamba, or you know like it's way more it's way better to start that stuff at things like summer league than you know be like all right see like we're gonna start this immediately first game of the season when you go up against DeAndre jordan oh i'm so excited for that first game of the season luca deandre jordan versus deandre ayton oh it's gonna and be hopefully cool. devin booker hopefully devin booker whoever we start at point guard <laughs> it's gonna did be i see that Doncic is playing the four supposedly now they they have him listed at a four in their initial depth chart and everything that carlisle has said is that they're going to start him at the four and because of the fact that like him and harrison barnes are basically the same size and they feel like harrison barnes plays better as a defender on the wing or some nonsense and Blah, blah, blah. Luka Doncic yeah. is slow on defense, and people really thought that he could stay in front of point guards, but he can't. Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> yeah. proved that. So. That is interesting. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but, you know, I mean, especially, like, first game of the season, he's going to be going up against Ryan Anderson. I'd rather him do that than go up against, you know, Trevor Reza or have him try and stay in front of possibly Booker. So, I mean, that that's – do you guys think that would be one of the big main differences between any sort of Euro ball and the NBA yeah. is the speed? Like those guys, those guys are nowhere near as fast or as big, but it, the speed is right. Speed and size and strength, probably. speed and athleticism. Like that's, those are the biggest differences between pro ball and European ball. I mean, how much better is NCAA? Like how much more athletic are those guys than guys playing in Europe on average? I would say more. I mean, think yeah. about it. Like, the majority of those guys just... Maybe not the majority of the guys in the NCAA, but a lot of those guys just go into the league after a year, you know? So, I, I'd say it's more athletic. And just the American style tends to lead that way. I think you're going to see more athletic guys in college just because if you're more athletic, you're more likely to get a scholarship thrown at you or be able to make a team. You don't necessarily have to have all the skills, whereas in Euroball, you know, they don't really push youth and all that other kind of stuff. They push experience and fundamentals and all that kind of stuff. So, I, I'm i not saying, not no no knock against Euroball, but the, there's you're probably going to see more high flyers in college ball than you are in Euroball. Um, but speaking of players, I'll go through um, the highlights of the interviews with Aiton, Nakobo, King, and Melton really quick. Because it was fun. I mean, the, the questions were more to get to know their personalities. So I've written a little bit out here about how I would describe them based on the interview. So DeAndre Aiton, I described him as gregarious, outgoing, and he seems to enjoy the spotlight. Like, he was smiling a lot. He liked getting asked the questions. He seemed to enjoy being there. Um, so that was kind of cool to see. Um, Akobo, different. He's quiet. He's really reserved. Maybe a little bit nervous. Uh, seems like a really nice guy, but just a little more introverted. Uh, George King, also pretty quiet. Um, I would describe him as stoic. 
like he he's confident i describe him as that as well based on his answers to the questions he he is confident but just very stoic you know he doesn't get too excited he cracked a couple smiles but most of the time pretty straight-faced stoic kind of guy um and then melton is the opposite of that melton smiled the entire time he was a little bit nervous too but he was really excited and he's really funny he's like the jokester i think and that that comes into play when um tom leander asked the guys who their favorite nba player to follow on social media was and um ayton said deandre ayton akobo said lebron i believe King said Dwayne Wade because Dwayne Wade was his favorite player growing up. And then it got to Melton and he looked right at Aiton and said, Joel Embiid. (laughs) It was really funny. (laughs) Like these guys are already razzing each other a bunch. And they talked about that San Diego trip. You can tell that that was effective. Um, And, you know, these guys have the potential to be leaders of this team because we're so young. So it's going to be interesting to see who steps up. And, and becomes a leader at a young age. All right, so now we'll quickly review the power forward position for the Suns this year. Uh, it's looking pretty cut and dry as of right now. After the trade for Ryan Anderson, we pretty much publicly said that he'll be our starting power forward this year, which keeps Bender as our backup power forward. And then we do have Darrell Arthur on the roster still. We're all assuming that he's going to get waived. But that has not happened yet. And then, obviously, at some points, we're going to see some of our wings fill in the stretch for. We can see Ariza do some of that, possibly Jackson. And then TJ Warren, maybe. If he's still on the roster by the time the season starts, he's going to be he's going to be getting minutes, and they got to be somewhere. So let's let's start off with Anderson. What are we expecting? How many minutes are we thinking? What do we expect from him this season? I expect Anderson to play a good amount. Um, He's still a good player. He's 30 years old, and he's declined for sure. But, you know, we wanted him, and he stretches that floor for us. So I could see him playing, like, I don't know, 25 minutes a game, maybe more. I was going to say probably around 24. I feel like that's a pretty solid number. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to kind of predict minutes and stuff. I do think we're going to see a lot of small ball and that kind of stuff, mostly being probably Ariza and we shouldn't do Josh, but there might be some Josh and we definitely shouldn't do TJ. TJ has to get minutes, but you know, if you think he's not that good of a defender at the three watch his games where he plays some four and it's even worse like it's pretty rough so i don't think tj can be that guy uh so if anything it's gonna be ariza playing a lot of that small ball four i think and bender is still i think gonna get a, a solid chunk of minutes um maybe playing backup it's tough because he doesn't assert himself very much to begin with so they're he's gonna have to kind of shoot and be told to shoot and try and play some of that backup defense but we'll we'll see about that it's a very important year for Bender because uh you know he's the last one left from that draft so 
Yeah, I also I think that Kakashkov's system is very favorable for Bender. He's gonna get to shoot a lot more threes and not have to be like as much of like an aggressive player as he had to be last year, and that did not go well. Um, I, so I think it will play into his his skill set well. And I mean, he still does need to be more aggressive, and he needs to be a better playmaker for sure, but. I, I think he's going to take that step. I think he'll be okay. I'm not saying he's going to explode or anything, but I think he'll be okay. Here's the thing about Bender, though. He's obviously a guy who, at his peak, is going to look at his best when he's playing with better players. Like, putting Bender in off the bench and saying, like, yo, man, we need to get some points. You're coming off the bench. We need you to microwave it up. That's that's not going to happen. Bender has to be with guys who are going to get buckets and who are going to set him up for the open threes and guys that he can find. Like I, I love watching Bender pass the ball and find the open man, but it's got to be guys that can finish. So it might hurt him being on the bench. I hope he I, – I could see their minutes getting rotated pretty quickly, so maybe Bender does see some minutes with those starters. And Aiden especially. Yeah, I kind of agree. And that's why I'm kind of almost wondering if Bender should be the starter. Which, we just traded for Ryan Anderson and I think he will. But I I wouldn't be surprised if Ryan Anderson would be a bit better off the bench. He's a guy that, you know, he's going to hit shots no matter what. He doesn't necessarily need to start or, you know, either way. And if he still plays around that, like, 20-ish minutes mark, I mean, like, he's still being effective. I I think that, like, Bender might have might need to start just because of playing alongside better players so his passing can look a little bit better. Being able to kind of be play alongside Aiton where they do those kind of, like, top-of-the-key screens and some of that, like, dribble handoff action that Igor normally has in his system... I feel like Bender might fit that a little bit more than Anderson. Anderson isn't necessarily a playmaker or, you know, a like great passer to begin with. He can move the ball, but you know, you're not gonna ask, you're not gonna want him to like do anything too crazy. Whereas Bender has a pretty good passing vision. So I, I almost feel like Bender might, like should possibly get the start, even though we just saw a year of Bender starting and it wasn't that impressive. Well, I would say, I, I bet Anderson starts, but I bet we see Bender playing with our best players more. Yeah, that, that's that's what I'm hoping for, at least. That's how you get Bender to shine, but have we passed the point of trying to make Dragon Bender look good and develop him? Or is it... I like, mean, he's, he's 20 years old. Tough luck, man, you've had your... He's 20. Uh, yeah, he's 20. <laughs> He's twenty. That's the that's the He's excuse. He's thirteen for years old and like just started shaving. <laughs> you gotta give him a break. Fast forward a decade. He's only thirty years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. Well, I think that'll wrap up our power forward talk, and now we move on to the non-sports segment. And this week we have a simple question. Just off the top of my head, earlier this week, what is the best flavor? Red. Um, just because you told me not to say it, I'm going to say uh, umami. <laughs> oh, <whatever>. David. <laughs> umami. Um, just because you told me not to. So, uh, in, in, all, in all reality, it's mango. But 
Mango, interesting. You shouldn't for your sorbet. You should. You guys <laughs> should know this by now. Not giving me smack or anything, but if there's a mango flavor, I'm all in. Tangy. Is there, are there uh, mango Mike's hard? Yeah. Wait. There's mango um, uh, Smirnoff. I know for sure. I don't know about the Mike's oh, hard. You do know that. Mango is interesting. It's it, mango is very distinct and unique for sure. I love mango, but like. I don't know. I guess the way I've been thinking about this all week is like if I could only have one flavor for the rest of my life. I don't know that I'd choose mango. I don't know. It's good. But here's here's my thought. I'm going to go lemon. I like lemons. I, lemons plain. I can eat lemons plain. I don't do it often, but I can. But lemon goes well with so many things. You've got lemon chicken. You can do like rice pilaf with, with a little lemon in there. You can use lemon in dessert, like lemon bars, that kind of thing. It's a nice accent to a lot of different things. So I think I'm going to go lemon. Hold on. Like, I was obviously kidding with my red. (laughs) Uh, But can't, like, I just win this by saying salt? Oh, salt. That's that's basically umami or umami or whatever. No, it's not. Salt is salt. Yeah, it is, because that's the whole point of salt and MSG is, like, getting you like that that reaction on your tongue or whatever and that's the whole point of like that flavor profile is like foods that give you that like that like feeling and like profile on your tongue like that's the whole point and that's what salt and like msg do i think salt is different though salt can be its own thing it's not that's exactly what it does well, let's hear you know it let's hear whatever. it why salt <laughs> well it, it wins i mean you put salt on anything it makes it better like have you people put salt this is this i think this might be like a south dakota only thing we have plenty of that weird stuff going on but i've seen people put salt on watermelon oh no that's a thing that's definitely that's a like, thing oh yeah that's a thing it makes it better i've seen i've heard of someone putting salt in chocolate milk i've never tried that they say it brings out the chocolate makes it taste better they're they're insane maybe but <laughs> go they probably have some health problems too <laughs> <laughs> but if like cook a steak you put salt on it it's an obvious thing it makes it it accentuates every possible flavor that's true we're not talking about spices though here but i'm still going lemon i'm sticking to lemon it's what i've been thinking of all week lemon is a terrible flavor lemon's a great flavor no it's not i don't like people put that like in their water and stuff and yeah that's great i do it's that. awful it's the worst oh i love it oh it's not that bad it's i like lemon. i have like every time i almost have like someone puts lemon in water i almost throw up why that's i don't ridiculous. know <laughs> i i like i one of the one of the times it was a uh, high school david david high school david was at a high school dance like high school david did and I went to I went to dinner before, and then I was like, "Oh man, I'm really thirsty. I'm gonna go get some water." Oh, all they have is lemon water. Well, I'm gonna go get sick now. That's weird. That's very weird. Like, say you're eating a like fish and chips. Do you put oh, put lemon on top of your fish? Well, Do I don't. Do eat, I you don't eat to. fish and chips. One. Okay. How about but, any sort of seafood? So, I I will I do well, cook with lemon. Little squeeze. Yeah. I do cook with lemon and like all that, but like that's the only way I really use lemon is like cooked with fish or cooked with like chicken or any of that kind of stuff. I thought you didn't eat fish. I don't eat like white fish. I don't eat fish and chips. Oh, 
What do you have against Whitefish? <laughs> you know what. <laughs> Alright. I didn't think this would be that heated. Guys, I feel like we should be talking about this on a phone call before we all go to bed or something, and maybe not on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. So that's how we wrap it up. We thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you again next week, and obviously check out the Twitter, at Sunny and PHX Pod. Go Suns. <laughs>